All right, so, unto the Lord. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. I when I have to move fast. Can I move fast today? Yeah. Who's been here the last two weeks? Most of you? L- lift your hand real high. I-, I would love to see. Okay, so most of you have a context. I was going to take some time to get back into that context. It's sometimes difficult to do a series, even though that's what I always seem to be doing. Um, just because, you know, people haven't been there, and then you kind of just start in the middle of a series, and they're like, what's, this, what's the context? And so you end up actually getting through less every week because you want to make sure that people have some understanding. There's always people that haven't been around. But I'm not going to take too much time to do that this morning, maybe just a little bit. So please go listen the last two weeks if you feel it would be helpful. Um, But as I've been saying, there is a lot going on uh, in the world right now. And even the fabric of society, I said last week, is in some people's minds almost breaking down and it causes people to be nervous. But my encouragement is to us, and it seems like a strange series to start the year with, but the Lord put it on my heart so strong, and I said, Lord, this is not a typical start of the year. It's not like that, you know, in the way we think. But I really believe it's what the Lord put on my heart, and what is for us this year is to begin to see the opportunity that faces the church in the West. As society is changing and as all things, all foundations in a sense are being shaken, some in a good way, some in a very bad way, it causes a lot of questions and a lot of things to come up in people's hearts. And there's an opportunity facing the church of Jesus Christ in this hour that if we see it, we can grasp it with both hands. But unfortunately, most believers think that witnessing or speaking to someone or, or being a light in the darkness, it looks like this when actually it looks like you. God has equipped and given every single one of you His hand on your life in the forms of gifts, anointings, callings, things that are without repentance. The Bible says the gift and the call of God are without repentance. So even when you mess up, they're there. And to learn to function in them as you are, just being. My dad always says, don't try, just be. And for years people are like, well, that's great, but what does that mean? It's a little bit of what I'm talking about. God's hand is on your life. His anointing. The word anointing actually means to smear. Like I used to tell the young people, if I smeared you with peanut butter, you've been anointed, but with peanut butter, which isn't that helpful. But the Holy Spirit, the God, God has anointed you by His Spirit, with His Spirit. He has smeared the Holy Spirit, in a sense, upon you, so that when you do normal normal activities. There will be certain parts and areas of your life that as you just function, as you just operate, the anointing of God will be upon that, and it's that anointing that breaks the yokes in other people's lives around you that changes the way they think, changes the way they see things, gives them a new perspective all of a sudden, causes a question to rise up that wasn't there, causes clarity come to their mind, and ultimately starts to turn hearts of people that you thought would never ever have hearts turned. It is the Holy Spirit upon your life that does it. It doesn't have to look like this. You don't have to be an apologist. You don't have, that means like knowing a lot of stuff about doctrine. You don't have to know the Bible by heart. You can know four verses, one verse, and see the Holy Spirit at work. Think about those in the New Testament. To them, the scriptures, the disciples, the the earliest disciples, their scriptures were the Old Testament scriptures. And they had always had them, and they couldn't even see Jesus when he arrived. So their confidence in their understanding and interpretation of the Old Testament was shaky at best. They were like, we couldn't even, we didn't even know 
Jesus had to open their mind to the Scriptures, and they ended up writing the New Testament. So what did they have? The Holy Spirit. So, oh, I'm preaching. We have to teach. So today I'm, <laughs> we're going to do a little quick teaching. You know, when I, in 2007, the Lord spoke to me about coming to the United States. And I'll never forget the moment. There was a song, some of you older people may remember this, Robin Mark, Revival in Belfast. Who remembers that CD? Anyone? Revival in Belfast, just a few special holy saints. So I was listening to this song called Revival, and it's that song the Lord pierced my heart and told me to come to the United States. And it starts with, um, prepare ye, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight his path, make straight his path in the wilderness. He says, let his light shine, let his light shine in the darkness, and let your rain fall, let your rain fall in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. And uh, and that went right through my heart, and that song was what God called me to do here, and he told me, when you go there, you must prepare the way of the Lord. And so there was a conviction in my heart from that moment, and it obviously took years for me to understand it and work it out, to make sure that his presence is valued and honor above programs at any cost. It's just immediately to make sure that his word is believed, not just heard, which requires the activity of the Holy Spirit and to make sure that his people can worship him in spirit and in truth, regardless of how the culture feels about it. And those things became such convictions in my heart, sometimes I didn't do them with wisdom, but they still are. And, and that comes straight down from when my parents were obviously leading the church as well. But it was from that heart that the John the Baptist text actually became very important to me, because that was his call, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. And it's like building a landing strip, we would say today, that the Lord can land on. Does he need it? No. But he asks us to do it. In the olden days, people would go before a king. People would go before and declare and pronounce, and then the king would come. And in this age and in this generation, I believe that that is part of the call on this church in this area, but in this specific time, to prepare the way of the Lord. And you can prepare the way of the Lord in your own life and in your own heart. You make like a landing strip for God to land on in supernatural ways that seem so practical and normal to every other person. That, that they don't know why. Why do I want to invite you? Why do I want to ask you a question? Why do I want to hang out with you? Why do I feel different when I'm connecting with you? Why do I want to give you the contract? Why, 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 why? Because there's a landing strip for the Lord. And so by definition in the New Testament, I mean by definition, every single one of you are in ministry today. We have this, uh, help me Jesus, repent, thank you for those thoughts, but stupid mindset in the West of that's what ministry looks like. And it is one of the greatest assaults that the enemy has ever won against an entire generation. 
and multiple generations. By definition of the New Testament, by the blood of the New Covenant in Christ's blood, you are in ministry. Why? Because He has made you, every living person who is a believer, a temple. And by definition, that means you are in ministry. But we separate ministry world, business world. It's not like that in the kingdom. A kingdom heart, what they do has God's power on it, has God's effect on it. I used to get, can I just be blunt? Just, I guess I shouldn't ask because I'm going to do it anyway. I used to get chastised by some people a couple years ago because I used to go and prepare at Starbucks sometimes. I just, it was, they used to make, you, if, they have to make French press if you ask him. It's a little rule that I, I learned. I'm like, thank you. So they were, I'd make my little French press and go prepare there. And I'd get chastised by people. You know, that place is this and that. They're wicked and the CEO this. And, and I just said to them, well, it depends on your mindset. Because when I go there and I pay them money, I'm not supporting them. I'm trusting that what I do, my money changes them. They don't change me. And it's amazing some of the encounters that I had in that place, which I won't get into now. But because of this, we're looking at John the Baptist. His ministry, his entire life was unto the Lord for a short, brief time, and then he's gone. What an incredible heart this man had. And what an incredible ministry he had, and sometimes so difficult, and it didn't, amen, and it didn't look like he thought. So please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, and I'm just going to read the first few verses. I'm not going to, actually, I think I got it here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Every, the last couple of weeks, we've read almost the entire chapter. So just for the sake of time, I won't do that, but I do enjoy the public reading of Scripture. Please go home and read it. John 1, in the New Living Translation, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word, that's Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. And God has sent you. I know I keep saying this, but you, please hear me. To tell about the light so that people might believe because of your testimony. It doesn't have to look like what I'm doing. It can be a job testimony that Chuck just gave. To tell about the light. Verse 10, he came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and all who accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So every one of us are in ministry to tell about the light, to make sure that the Messiah is revealed to Israel, it was for, but for us to the whole world. And as I've been saying, every ministry has an altar, a place 
of sacrifice, a place of worship, a place of repentance, but also a place, it struck me this week, a place of memorials. They used to send up altars when God would do something that they couldn't do. They used to set up an altar to remember it. And as I was preparing this, we're not going to have time to go into this, but please hear me if you hear. As I was preparing this just yesterday, the Lord put it on my heart, said there are some people going to be sitting there today, today, that's today, that have memorials. They remember a day when God moved through them. They remember a day when God used them. They remember a day when they walked with the Lord, but it's like that no more. And they wish in their hearts. It's like I could hear the prayers. Lord, I just, oh, to go back to that. You will never go back to that, but you will go forward in Him. And it may look different. Don't try to recreate something. But I'm here to tell you, God is literally not far from you. He's right here. It's here that we, we think we have to make up. We have to go and remember everything we've learned and, and do what we used to do. and do. It's not like that. The Lord, He's with you. He's with you. He's never left you. Just real quick, if, if that's you, I know there's some and I don't want to, if that's you saying, God, there's a longing in my heart, I remember, I remember. Can you stand real fast? I know there's some. Look at that. The Lord knows. Let's just, can you just real quick extend your hands to these wonderful people. Father, we thank you. We know that your heart is with them, that your spirit is upon them, and we pray that it may change the way they think. It may be different to how they can see it or perceive it, but we pray awake. Isaiah 52, awake, awake. Awaken unto life, and Christ will give you light. Lord, I pray revelation for each one of these. Let that hunger in their heart be, be honored, and let it be answered in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every ministry includes an anointing, an area, an action, and an attitude. So I'm not even going to... But by focusing on attitude, not for one second can we think that we can purchase or buy or earn anything. Attitude is simply to position us to live pleasing to the Lord, but it's to position us to partner with Him. That's all it is. It's not earning something. You can't earn what's been given. In fact, if you try, sometimes that's a blockage. Because the Lord can't, re he can't reward a slave mindset. Because it will reinforce your slave behavior. If you're thinking like an orphan, if you're thinking like a servant, and I have to earn, sometimes the Lord has to withhold. Not because you're not doing enough, but because you, you're thinking you can earn it. If He reinforces that, He reinforces that mindset. Just like you would if you had a broken young child off the street come and live in your home. There are certain things that you can't reward because they are, it, it's not healthy. You wait for them to think like a son and a daughter. So, practical kingdom attitudes. Number one, we covered this last week. Focus on the ministry, and your ministry will come into greater clarity. And it starts, friends, with believing the gospel. I mean genuinely believing the gospel. We say preach the gospel to yourself every day. It can be one verse. I went over one verse last week and just taught you how to get revelation, how to ask the right questions. What does this actually mean? What does this mean for me? Where do, what does this actually, how does this position me? How does God see me? Get to know the gospel so entrenched within you that you can explain it doesn't have to be fancy. Simple, simple, simple. And you'll know it's the gospel if it sounds like good news. 
if it sounds like good advice on how to behave and how to do everything, that's a result of a changed heart. Make sure the gospel is good news. The righteous, a righteous God justifying a wicked person. Not because of what they've done. As I said it last week, Jesus was treated as if he lived my life, so I could be treated as if I lived his life. It's a profound truth. So, first attitude is focus on the ministry. Don't try to build your ministry. Focus on the ministry, the greatest ministry of all, the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change hearts. And as you do that practically and as you serve others, things will, God will use you in a very natural way. You probably will have to have someone tell you, this is how God uses you. Really? Because you think, well, everyone does that. That's the definition of a gift. You just do something. Can everyone do that? Then you realize, oh, no. Well, that's from the Lord. Second, we'll start here. Help me, the Lord. Kingdom attribute that we see in John the Baptist we can learn from. Hold things and people loosely. Please hear me. Hold things and people loosely. Paul said, I had time of much and a time of little. A time of great finance and time of none. It doesn't dictate much in heaven. And hold people loosely. I'm not saying we've just prayed for favor. Of course, that's better. But there are times on the earth where for multiple reasons that we can't go into, God's people have had to have little. But what power they carried. Silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give to you. And I don't believe that being wealthy is a problem. Please hear me in Loudoun County. I heard someone say this. For some, it's $100. For some, it's $100 million. It's whatever amount replaces reliance. Whatever amount replaces what you rely on is what you will be trusted with. There are people that can have $100 million, but they think it all comes from the Lord, and they know that it's all the Lord, and they don't put their faith in it for a second. There are some people who it can break them if you give them $100. Oh, golden calf, touch. Hold things and people loosely. John the Baptist, we read it. I'll just quickly read it. It says, uh, verse 15, someone is coming who is far greater than me, than I am. He existed before me. And it ends in verse 36, saying, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So he lost, friends, he spent 30 years in the desert by himself, in a sense, preparing for a very short ministry. He comes out. He has these disciples. It means he was giving them everything. He has to provide for them in those days. You've watched The Chosen. You see how it is? You have to provide, you have to protect. They follow your every command, but you're responsible for them. And he gives his whole life to these people. But his ministry is saying there's another one. They see that one and they're like, that's great, thanks, goodbye. And they leave. If you're a kingdom person, you celebrate that. If you're a ministry building person, you will hold on to them. Can I say it's the same in business? You will invest in a person, invest in a person, and they go and do well in their own business. Let them go. Obviously, if they've signed a non-disclosure, that I'm not talking about legal stuff. But let them go and let them flourish because that will come to you. If God knows that he can trust you with his people 
and that you will not hang on to them and you have an open hand. They don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord God Almighty. And He made them and He knows them better than you know them. And He thinks of them better than you think of them. And He loves them better than you love them. And you may play a small role. When we led the youth, we had some people that, uh, you know, things happen. And there were all these lies and rumors that went around that weren't true, but it caused some problems. And I even had the, some of their kids come to me and saying, we heard some of this, we know it's not true, and they were fighting with their parents. Now I have a choice to make. Do I honor their parents? They're saying, Mom, Dad, that's not true. You shouldn't say it. Do I honor their parents or do I defend myself? And I said to them, you know, you will have some people that come into your life for a season. Some will be there forever. I'm a seasonal person. Your parents are forever. Honor your parents. You know how many people I've seen my wife raise up in worship? How many young people? Raises them up. She pours into them, plows into them. Nothing wrong. And then they up, go somewhere else. And she blesses them and celebrates them as they leave. Over and over. Because is she trying to build her ministry? Or is she trying to build the kingdom? It's, it's so different to build my... No. Then the Lord, because he can't, that's a hireling. That's a hireling. In it for personal gain. If the Lord can trust you with people, knowing that you won't hold on to them, he will keep sending you people. And some will stay because they're called to stay. Others will come and go like a revolving door because that's what's supposed to happen. You know, one of the greatest, I said this earlier, and it's on this point, one of the greatest attacks, I remember in 2009 when I saw this, it, it was a revelation to me that one of the greatest attacks that the enemy has won against the, against the church, specifically in the West, is what I call the replacement of mediacy. Jesus died to make sure there was no human mediator between me and God. And the enemy has done everything he can to replace it ever since, with priests, with pastors, with you name it, to make sure I'm not going to go to him, I'm going to go to some other guy, and he's going to tell me, no, go to the Lord. Jesus died to open a curtain for you to go, and the enemy has done everything he can to put a person in the middle. And I had to stand up in front of a small youth group, thank the Lord, at that time and repent, literally publicly, and say, I've been taking your hand and the Lord's hands, and I'm standing like this. And my job is to take his hand and your hand and put them together and get out of the way. That's the role. So we used to say a lot, we sow our best. You raise up the best, but you sow your best out. Because that's a kingdom view. Maybe that's why we still got you, Josh. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. Rachel enjoyed it. Too much. John 4 says, Jesus said this to them. John 4, it's coming up behind me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Just read that. Do you know that you can find fulfillment, strength, in doing what God's told you to do? Not in gaining attention from ministry, not even trying to grow your ministry. You know how many books there are? I'm getting in trouble now. How many books there are on how to grow your ministry? I do not understand it. I understand there's some practical things you can do, and you need to be excellent, of course. 
That's helpful if the mindset's right. If, if I think that I have to grow it, no, the Lord will grow it. If it's real. That church, that ministry, that, and sometimes the Lord wants them to be small, sometimes the Lord wants them to be big, sometimes it doesn't matter, it depends what the call of God is. Let Him decide that stuff. I get passionate about this. He says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Do not say, and I've said this so many times, you know, next year we're going to focus on witnessing. Or next year, do not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest, the harvest being people. In other words, there are people around us right now that are really ready. They are like ripe, just low-hanging fruit. They, they are around all of us right now that are ready to hear the truth and to come to the Lord. That's what the Bible tells me. Hello? And God has equipped each one of you to be effective. But because of the lie of the enemy, we think it's got to look like this, or we think it's got to be a special person. Just that one thing. People, we just do this. I call it the us for no more disease. Us for no more us and Jesus. Just because we think of what it's got to look like. And then he says, verse 36, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. You know how many of you wonderful people, let's just be frank, were counseled, taught the truth, spoken off of terrible bad places, you know, talked off the ledge kind of thing for years and years, and people taught you the truth, taught you the scriptures. Not me, not even my dad. And you arrived here ready to serve, ready to bless. I entered into someone else's life. I didn't do any of that. And you arrive here like mature, happy, ready to go. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Bring some more of them. But someone else did all of that. That's the kingdom. Hello? You do it with your children. You're not raising your child for you. You're raising them for another. It's the same in the kingdom. You raise them for another. You equip them for another. Third point is be honest and real. Verse 29, the next day we saw John... Uh, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about it when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am because he existed long before me. How's this? I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. That's the right motive. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know. It's like he wants you to be clear. Like, listen, I didn't, I, I didn't know. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, and I testify to you, he is the chosen one of God. So here is a prophet who Jesus says was the greatest. 
Here is a prophet who cannot tell the Messiah for which he spent his whole life trying to kind of figure out. That's his job. That's like, that's your job. Point him out. And he's a prophet, and he can't do it by signs, wonders, miracles, visions, dreams, all things prophets do. And he can't do any of that. So God tells him, you've got to baptize. Okay. He didn't stand up, let me tell you about these great encounters. And, you know, it's the, <laughs> we used to call it the suck and blow anointing. Oh, God. It's like, what? Weird hype. What is that? And here's a guy. It's like, listen, I didn't know. I just didn't know. So I just did what God told me to do. Don't be super spiritual. I encourage you. Ask people, how are you doing? I am blessed. I am blessed by God. Oh my, I'm... How about I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay? Or how about I'm struggling a little bit? Bless God, I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head, not the tail. Yes, I get all of that. That's true. How are you doing? John was the first to receive incredible revelation about the Messiah, but he didn't pontificate. He just said, it's him. He just pointed to Jesus. Just said, that's the one. That's the one. It's him. And he was real, friends. Sometimes if you don't know, say, I don't know, but I can find out, or I can take you to someone who does. People can see through religious language, through hype, they can tell very quickly, quicker than sometimes Christians can. They can tell like that. Just be real. They are looking for authentic hearts that have the love of God in them. That's what they're looking for. Authentic, the love of God shed abroad in the human heart. And I have found if, you are found if you are real with your struggles, that's not like all I'm talking about, complaining, we'll get onto that next. If you are real with your struggles, and if you're real with life, when you're real with the truth, they'll hear you. Because you, you don't change. When I'm speaking about the Lord, I'm like, oh. But when I'm speaking about this, I'm just different voice, normal. Hello? When I pray, I sound like that. When I talk to you, no. I had a spoke to a contractor the other day. And he's, he's, he's come to our house to do something, and, and I spoke to the contractor, and he says, uh, someone told me I must come listen to you preach. He didn't know what I do. And because of what I do, people change instantly when they find out. I'll be speaking to someone, and they swear in like crazy or whatever, and then someone's like, oh, it comes along that it wasn't there. Oh, so I'm pastor. And then they're like, <laughs> it's like this instant like, oh, no, like hell's going to get me. And I, and I always just like, just relax. Just be yourself. I don't care about that. And, and it doesn't, you know, if, if they came under such conviction that they didn't know why to, and I've had that happen too, that's a sign that I'm walking very close with the Lord. But if that doesn't happen, that's not on them, that's on me. So why should I worry about that? Let the Lord do it. And so this guy, he's like, someone told me I was coming here, you preach. 
And I said, okay. Well, if you want, you don't have to. He's like, yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I struggle with the church, the whole church thing. And I said to him, I said, yeah, so do I. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I've had the same. I used to be a bad guy. I started just being real with a guy. And we talked for an hour. Just normal, real. You know what? Where I really wanted to get today was this one. Stop complaining and be thankful. Do you guys have grace for me to do this real fast? I'm talking real fast. Because this one is awesome. Josh, I'm, I'm going to not listen to your comments. I forgive whatever they are. Jesus, help him. It was her. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. There's an old song my mother used to play. It was an LP, like a vinyl. Man, I used to hate it. But she, she drilled it into me so much that I was preparing, and I'm hearing this song in my head. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it now. I don't know if you ever heard it. It's like a kid's choir, and they're singing, Are you humbly grateful? What is it? Are you humbly grateful or grumbly hateful? Have you ever heard that? What's your attitude? And uh, man, I hated that song. But I texted my sister. I'm like, are you humbly grateful or grumbly hateful? She's like, ugh. And I'm like, is what I'm talking about. And it's stuck in my head. So well done, Mom. So it says here in 1 Corinthians 10, let me quickly read this to you. 1 Corinthians 10 says, I moreover, brethren, do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses. You know, the Exodus in the Old Testament is a prophetic picture, a physical picture of salvation, yeah? Come out of the world, out of Egypt, through baptism, in a sense, into the into a, uh, area and then into the promised land, into the promises of God. It says, yeah, they were all baptized into Moses in the same cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food ate all this, and all ate this, uh, drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock, which is Jesus, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of, us, most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In other words, they were saved, but they never actually entered into the walking in the promises of God. Hello. They were saved, never walked into the promises of God. And it says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not last after evil things as they lusted and do not become idolaters of some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Verse 9, Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, Nor complain. It's like all these intense things, like, blaspheme and, you know, sexual morality. Oh, and, and complain. And it says, what about complain? As some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroying angel. I look at that list and I'm like, yes, we get all of the don't do this, don't do that. And it says, and don't, don't complain. Because it's not like it offends God, like how dare they complain. Yes, he doesn't like it. But complaining... If we could see the unseen power of what comes out of our mouth when we complain or when we're thankful, they're opposite in the spiritual realm. And I said last week, I had a magnifying glass, I bought it with me, but it's down there. 
We are called to magnify the Lord. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? It means I can take a magnifying glass and make something my entire, like I can put it on the Lord and he becomes all I see. I magnify the Lord in my view. Or I take a magnifying glass and I magnify the Lord's power to a spot, like, a, like with an ant. I mean, no, a leaf. When you, you know, when you take this, you know, you burn something. It's both. I can magnify the Lord's activity in my life or I can magnify the Lord in my view. When you complain, you do that exact thing but with the unseen realm but not with a good one. You magnify the enemy in your view and you magnify the enemy's effect in your life. Why why did we all know about the fall? We all know about Adam. We all know what happened in the fall of man. And we've heard it explained many times. But not many people talk about why did the enemy have to come to Adam? Not why that he did, and we know what happened, but why did he have to? Why did he have to get authority from Adam? Because he had none of his own. And because he had none of his own, he had to get it legally from the chief, the masterpiece of God's creation, you. He had to take it legally, meaning it had to be done by Adam's free will. So he had to deceive Adam, and he usurped the authority that all authority comes from God. He usurped the authority that God had given to Adam by manipulating and deceiving him and getting him to act out of his free will and obey the enemy. And in so doing, he took that authority. He gained legal access. This is exactly what happens when we complain. The enemy gains legal access to you, to your life. It doesn't mean that we can't talk about our struggles. Don't make it a weird hype faith thing. Please hear me. You know, it's like people say, I can't say it. I can't say it because I'm a man of faith. No, in the Bible, when they were blind, they said, I'm blind. Jesus didn't go to them and say, what's wrong with you? Nothing, bless God. No, I'm blind. I'm blind, so I'm I'm blind. You can still speak about what you're struggling with in a way that doesn't make you a victim, in a way that it doesn't make you bitter or cynical, and you turn it around just like the Psalms. This is happening, but God. Nothing wrong with that. But to just complain, 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 complain. What starts to happen, friends, is the enemy, not immediately, but the enemy will start gaining access. You have magnified his perspective in your view. Now it's all you see. It's hard to have hope now. And hope is the seedbed of faith. Now I'm waiting for faith to arise. Faith can arise because that's all I see. And then the mag- he flips the magnifying glass and he puts his effect on my life. The plans of the enemy. Why? Because I'm agreeing with him. I'm partnering with him. I'm saying what he says, seeing what he sees, thinking now like he thinks. And I stop expecting good things to happen. I start expecting negative things to happen. Hope means the expectation of good. That's what biblical hope means, the expectation of good. I no longer expect good. How could I possibly? Look at what's happening. And along comes a white unto harvest. Along comes a ripe person. And we're just like, uh, all this stuff, and they're like, this person needs Jesus. And we're like, uh, not now. Because 
Our, we are consumed with our problems, insecurities, difficulties, struggles, unanswered questions, hurts, past failures. Consumed. And along comes someone and we're like, oh, it's, just, it's just too much. I just, I'm here. What does that? Complaining. Complaining. I encourage you. Recognize the authority and what it means to be made in God's image. And then what it means for you to speak. Genuinely recognize it. Because it has power. The opposite of that is thankfulness. And that I will not go over this week. But it is extremely, extremely powerful. I'll just give you one sentence just to make you a little bit hungry for next week. For real. There is a biblical principle which I will show you in black and white next week. There is a biblical principle from the Old Testament all the way through to the New that when you make giving thanks a practice, it is a vehicle which God uses even in the sacrificial system. It is a vehicle that God uses to bring His intended design and His intended desire to a person or to a thing. To literally to flip something that the enemy has and actually make it according to what God said about it. And it's tied to and linked to the simple practice of giving thanks. To literally take demons off of a thing, demons out of a person, to, to, to restructure a person's heart by the practice of learning what it means to give thanks from the old to the new is exceptionally powerful. One of the, the greatest scholar of the law ever, probably, Paul. You go look at how many of his New Testament writings. He said, do this, this, and be thankful, and give thanks, and be thankful, and give thanks, and be thankful. Thank God for in everything, not for everything, in everything. Thank Him, thank Him, thank Him. Not because, like, you want to be a good little Christian. No, because he understood from the law what is released in thankfulness. It's the opposite of complaining. So why don't we stand? We'll touch on that next week. You know, it's a wonderful thing when God's people come together to worship and we run out of time because of worship and testimonies and people hungry to learn about healing. These are good reasons to run out of time, yeah? They're wonderful. All righty. Aaron, can you come pray for us? This is my friend. He is. And, uh, yeah, wonderful. Come pray for us. Thanks, friend. Lord, we do just, we just thank you. There is so much to be thankful for. And, uh, yeah. I thank you for what you have for this coming year, Lord. I thank you that you are a, just our bedrock. And it doesn't matter what's coming, Lord, what's come before, what's coming next, Lord, that you see at all. Lord, so I just speak your peace over your people. In Jesus' name, let your peace rest on your people.
Thank you. Amen.